When we met, I, I came to church all the time. I was raised a single parent home and we just didn't attend church on Sundays and he'd always invite me and I would always say no at first, no, it's okay, maybe next Sunday. And then I finally took the leap and started coming and fell in love with the worship service and the sermons and been coming ever since. So when Ryan and I started dating, um, he had never told me the story until I think we were engaged and um, he got a text message from a, one of the custodians at, at his school that he works at. And I was like, what is he texting you for or whatever? He's like, oh, I got to pick up a payment. He was in need of a car for his son. And so I took out a personal loan. The man wasn't able to um, get a personal loan just because of his credit and just some other things that had happened. At first, I was kind of in shock. Like, why did you, why'd you give this man that you, you're, you're not, you're friends with at work, but you don't hang out with him all the time. It's not someone in your family. And he said, because he needed help. And it wasn't anything about Sorry. It wasn't anything about Ryan. He wanted to help somebody else. And so I feel like God led him to um, help somebody who needed help and to just trust God. I mean, that says, says something about Ryan and how God has worked in him and um, just to give to others and not think of himself. You kind of take a step back and you want to care about others and give to God more than yourself. and. Um, I think setting a good example for their children to continue to do this will help them as they get older. They see us tithe and you know every Sunday I'm asking do you have your offering you know you do you have your offering for Sunday school yes dad I got my offering uh, and they're you know instead of thinking maybe I could use this on something else I think they are really they see us tithing they know it's going to a good place they know it's going to go help other people who are in in more need than we are. And so I think they see us helping people, and not just us, other people around them too, helping others, and I think that they think that's important and they'd rather help other people than get things for themselves. So in 2016, um, Bren and Blade wanted to have a lemonade stand. Um, we had talked about having a garage sale. Bren Lee said, well, I asked her what she wanted to do with the money she raised, and she said she wants to give the money to kids in need, kids that don't have food is exactly what she said. And so then we started talking about Zoe ministry and or how much they could really help others, other children in need um, who maybe didn't have food. Last year they wrote a letter to Pastor David and, and uh, gave it to him because they just wanted him to know what they had done. They actually got a letter back that said your money went to buying this many chickens and this and and uh it's you know they could see man that, that little bitty money of forty dollars to us really helps kids who are people who are in need in other countries they wanted to do the same thing again and um, raise double of what they raised the first year this year they wrote a letter and we bring it up here uh, i'm with the ceo of zoe he was the, he was here so they gave it to him which i thought was cool and it was purely coincidental. We didn't know he was going to be here. It all came together. We have a garage sale. She ha they have their lemonade stand. And then that same Sunday, the man from Zoe's here speaking to our church about Zoe ministry. That's crazy. God has given us a bunch of avenues to help people. And we think as a family that we need to give back. I mean, he's given us a lot of opportunities to serve. We know that, you know, First Mansfield is going to use our gifts in a way that uh, will multiply. You know, the little we give will be multiplied because uh, we are a giving family, we're a giving church, and it, it means everything to us.
you join me in giving thanks to Ryan and Brandy for sharing their story. They, they just walked out the back. But I just want to say I'm proud of them for being here this, uh, this morning when they knew that their story was being shared. We thank them uh, uh, sharing their witness of faith. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here and appreciate you being here and having the chance to share with you that this is the final message uh, in our series, First Things First. And so as we bring uh, this message to a conclusion, a couple things uh, I want you to know at the end of the message time, uh, we'll have a chance uh, for all those who call First Methodist home uh, to, to bring forward an estimate of giving card. Uh, uh, here in the sanctuary, we have three baskets. Uh, if you're at the well or the well cafe, there's also baskets at the front of each of those worship spaces. And, and, and I want you to know if you're a first-time guest here, uh, you're welcome to do this, but it's certainly not expected, okay? Uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, think of this as uh, me and my wife inviting you over to the house for dinner, and you're going to be nice and polite and say, what can we bring? And we're going to say, don't bring anything. We just want to bless you. So I hope if you are here for the very first time, uh, this weekend, this is a blessing to you because uh, you see a church that cares about you, cares about others, uh, and expresses that in this way uh, of living out uh, this commitment to generosity. Uh, we believe that everything that we do, we know that everything that we do, we do together. And so this is an expression of that as we commit to our life in, in 2018. I want to start with this idea that we've looked at each and every week of this series, that faithfulness in the first things has the power to change everything. We've looked at that again for the last three weeks. We're going to bring that to a close today, but this is the principle that we, we see throughout the scriptures, and I hope uh, that, that by the end of our message today, you, you, that will click for you, if it hasn't already, of why this truth is so powerful uh, in our life uh, when we are faithful in the first things, how it releases the power uh, that really does change everything. Ryan and Brandy mentioned uh, the letter that I received, and I want to point out just a few things the kids wanted me to know in that letter. You saw it on this, uh, in the video, but you probably didn't get a chance to, uh, to read it. Uh, they wanted me to know that this year they raised $86.25. Last year, 2016, they'd raised $46.58. And, and because they didn't want me to have to, you know, do the math in my head, they wanted me to know that they beat their total by $35.67 from 2016 to 2017. So not only uh, kids who are learning to live generously, but perhaps uh, you have a future accountant on your hands there. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's a great story because we love seeing families uh, living out generosity together. Uh, we really believe in that. Uh, and one of, the, one of the reasons that we do or the expressions of that is while we've been going through this series together, our children and our students have also been looking at this whole idea of generosity. So let me just show you a picture from uh, one of the activities that our kids have, have done. Uh, they put together these jars for kids as a tangible way of thinking about how they uh, might care for the resources in their life. So you have the give jar, you have the save jar, you have the spend jar, and kids have been able to take these home and, and, and again, think about their life perhaps in a, in a brand new way. And I'm sure there's, there's many here today who, who may think, wow, that's, that's so great. You know, we know kids need to learn those kinds of things. So that's, uh, that's, that's really good that, that you see this expression. And, uh, but there may be some who are a bit more cynical. And I'm not calling you out, okay? You don't have to raise your hand or, or anything. But there may be some who you see this and you think to yourself, wow, this church needs money so bad they're taking it from five-year-olds. Can you believe that? Now, we laugh about that, but, but seriously, there, there are some who, who would look at this and that's what they would see. And, and the reason why is this, because we live in a world that believes in charity, but is confused by generosity. 
We live in a world that believes in charity, but is, but is really confused by generosity. Now, those two words for you, they may sound like the exact same words, and that may be an expression of our confusion that we have. Uh, but but let, me, let me talk about what the difference is. And before we dive into that, hear me first say that both of these are great things. The fact that we live in a world that believes in charity is a great thing. There is so much in our world that happens because we together believe in charity. There's right now research that's happening uh, for the treatment and the curing of diseases that we face that happens because of the charity that we see present in the world. Many of you throughout the year participate in, in walks or runs or other events to raise resources uh, for charitable causes, and they're wonderful, great causes. Some of you get to play a little bit more golf because there's that charity tournament that you can play in. It's a wonderful and great thing. People who find themselves in a surprising moment of need are helped in tremendous ways by their community around them because we believe in charity. There are businesses, local businesses, uh, businesses that are really global businesses that participate. They give some of their resources away to charity and they love to tell you about what they're doing because they know that you believe in it. And, and their participation in that is good for their company. It's good for their brand because we live in a world that believes in charity. So hear me say first, that's a wonderful and great thing. There are so many things that happen in our world because we live in a world that believes in charity. A natural disaster happens. And what do we know is going to happen next? We're going to see an outpouring of support from people because we believe in charity. But maybe you've already experienced that, that, that moment of, of in conversation with someone or even in your own heart and mind thinking about a little bit of confusion when it comes to, to generosity. So, so what do we mean when, when we talk about the difference between these two words? Let me give you a couple definitions and then we're going to look at the scriptures and what the scriptures say about the difference between charity and generosity. So first, charity is how good people respond to a broken world. That's what I would suggest to you is kind of our, our definition of that. We think this is what good people do. You're a good person if you participate in charity. When something happens again and there's a need, we, we, where there is sort of this social expectation that we have that we need to participate in that. that. And that's, not a, that's a wonderful, great thing because we see the brokenness in our world and we know that there's need. And good people respond in charitable ways. But generosity is a bit different. Generosity is how grateful believers respond to a generous God. And as you think about the difference between those two ideas, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, 1799, page 1799 in the blue Bibles that we have here in our sanctuary and our other worship spaces. Would love for you to grab that blue Bible. If you didn't bring yours, uh, you can turn again to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, page 1799. Uh, this is a letter, what I'm going to read to you is a letter from the Apostle Paul written to uh, the Christians living in Corinth. And he's writing to them in advance of his trip to see them. He's coming, uh, he's preparing them for his arrival. And one of the things that he's preparing them for here in chapter 8 is he's preparing them for the offering that he is going to be collecting from them to take back to the Christians living in Jerusalem. 
This is an offering that Paul was collect, collecting from all the churches uh, throughout uh, the Roman Empire. Bring, again, bringing them back to the, to the church in Jerusalem, and he's getting them, getting them ready for that. So listen to how Paul addresses that offering now, uh, beginning in the first verse of chapter 8. Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So you have Paul beginning to address this issue by first talking about some other churches that he had visited on this journey. The Macedonian churches, this is where he is coming from. And he's reporting to the Christians in Corinth, hey, I want you to know what your brothers and sisters in the Macedonian churches have already done. I want you to know what we've already experienced in them. We, we, in coming to them, the, the offering that they collected was way beyond what our expectations uh, were for them. They really blew us away. We were incredibly surprised. And, and, and maybe even though Paul was thinking this is too much, they were so overjoyed and were pleading with them, let us, let us help. Let us help our brothers and sisters. Let us participate in this service to the, to the, to the Lord. So he starts by talking about these other churches and what they have. Have, have done. And then we get to verse 6 where Paul says, so we urge Titus, one of Paul's companions who had been sent ahead uh, to, the, to the church at Corinth, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So here's what everyone else has done. And so we sent Titus along to encourage you uh, because here's what we know about you. We know we've seen how you've excelled in all of these other areas of your faith, but we want to make sure that you also excel in this grace of giving. This is the point where if you're a little uncomfortable with this topic, you're maybe squirming in your seat a little bit. That's okay. Uh, but, but I want you to notice something. So far, Paul's talked about He's talking about money here, right? I mean, everybody knows this. No one is confused by what Paul is talking about. But he's not used the word money. <laughs> Instead, he's used the word grace. So just, just pay attention to that as we continue to read. Uh, if you're squirming, by the way, we haven't got to the worst part, okay? It's coming up right here. Paul says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now this is one of the reasons why you should bring your Bible to church. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we'd love to give you one. Stop by one of our connecting points, we'll give you that as a gift. But you should always bring your Bible to church because this is one of those moments where you may be asking, is that really in the Bible? You should have it in front of you to, to see because this sounds like something that maybe, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't do this. 
Like parents, this is maybe not the best strategy for helping your kids, you know. I want to see if you love me as much as your brother does. I don't want to see how much, you know, it, does, I mean, it sounds really kind of pushy, maybe a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's sort of like lock the doors, the organ's going to start playing, and we're going to pass the plate for the third time. You know, we just, I just feel like the Lord needs some more money today, so we're going to, it's, it's just, what, what is he saying here? Why is he, he going to, to, to this length? Look at, look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So here's the, here's the target of this entire teaching, this whole message. He says, I want you to remember the grace of Jesus. I want you to remember that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, since that may just be clear as mud to you, uh, let me invite you to do this. Turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. That's turning to your right. If you're using the blue Bibles, that's page 1824. So 25 pages to the right. Philippians chapter 2. Paul is going to make the same case here in Philippians chapter 2. But I want you to hear it in a slightly different way as we think about what exactly Paul means when he talks about the richness of Christ becoming poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Philippians 2, Paul says, if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any sharing in his spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. In other words, if this whole Jesus thing means anything to you, then live your life like Jesus. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's what it was, he says. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every, uh, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here in 2 Corinthians 8, We have Christ who was rich, who became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And then you have Philippians 2, where you have Jesus who was, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself of of that status so that he could become nothing. He traded the perfection of divinity for the imperfection of humanity. And in coming to us in the form of a man, he further humbled himself by allowing death, death on a cross. In other words, Christ had all things and Christ became nothing so that Christ could give you everything. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, that Christ had everything, Christ became nothing so that Christ might be for you your everything. Or stated more simply, that Christ was emptied of glory 
so that Christ might fill you with grace. This is the, this is the movement of the gospel. Christ empties himself of his glory so that Christ might fill you with his grace. Remember a few weeks ago, we, we, we talked about that this represents our life, that we're vessels. We're vessels that were meant to be filled. And what fills our life before we come into a relationship with Christ is junk that shouldn't be there. It's the cholesterol of the soul. It's all this stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with God. But as, as God pours himself into us, those things begin to be lifted and removed from our life. We begin to be filled with the love and grace of God. And the grace that fills your life, it isn't just unmerited favor. It isn't just, I forgive you, it's okay. The grace that fills your life is the power of God that is saving the world. That's what grace is. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, this is what begins to fill your life. It isn't just, it's okay, I forgive you. It isn't just, well, I'm going to pick you up and dust, dust you off and let you walk again. It includes all of those things, but it's so much more than that. It is the power of God that is saving the world. It's the power of God at work in you that is transforming you from the inside out. It is the power of God that is cultivating in you the fruit of patience and kindness and love and gentleness, generosity in a way that you've never understood it before. It's God's power at work in you, enabling you to be somebody that you never thought that you could be. And it's the power of God overflowing from you, being unleashed into the world world as you live generously with the grace that God has poured into you following the example of Jesus who had everything and who became nothing so that he could give to you everything. This is the power of first things first. When we give not just because we see a need but because we've been overwhelmed by the generosity of God, the grace that God has poured into us that is the power of God that is saving the world. There's nothing wrong with charity. It's a wonderful, great, amazing thing. And Christians should be those most willing to participate in acts of charity. But generosity comes from another place. Not because we see a need, but because we fully see and we fully understand who God is and what God has poured into us. The grace that is the power of God that is actually saving the world. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? The best way that I can think uh, to describe it for you is, is to simply express to you how I've experienced that in my own life. And some of you have heard this, this, this story before, but it's my story, so I might as well share it with you again. When I was in college, uh, my campus minister took me to lunch the spring semester of my freshman year. He knew a little bit about me at the time and knew that I had felt perhaps a calling to ministry. And so he asked if I would like to to, to work for the ministry, to, to fulfill one of the positions that he had, if, if I'd be willing to work as an intern. 
And I thought, job, good, that's, that's helpful. You know, I, that would be good to have a job. Uh, I would love to do that. And he said, okay, well, here's the deal. This is how this job works. Uh, you, you ask people in your life to give to our ministry and whatever they give is what your salary is. And all of a sudden, this job didn't sound like such a good job anymore. Like, that doesn't, oh, I'm not sure about that. But he said, you know, I want you to think about it. And so I did, went home over the, that summer. And with my parents, uh, uh, started putting together a list of people, again, who knew me over the course of my life who might be willing to support me in this, uh, in this new endeavor of working uh, in this ministry. And I, I had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, I remember thinking, okay, I better put in some other applications, you know, for the fall semester because I don't know if this is even going to work out. I don't know if anyone's going to want to give to this and, and just send that off and, and you, just, you just wait. And, of course, I received some things back from, from individuals, uh, all surprising, all just blew me away, overwhelmed me. But one in particular, I just... I, there were no words to describe how I felt that day when I opened that envelope, uh, the one that was from Jim and Cora Cogdell. Here's what I knew about Jim and Cora. I knew that they were leaders in my, in my dad's church. And in my 16, 17-year-old naive mind, uh, the other thing that I knew was that they had stopped buying anything new after 1975, okay? That's when, that's when it stopped. Everything in their life was brown. They drove a brown car. They wore brown clothes, polyester. I mean, that's, that was just my perception of them, that these were people who didn't have anything, and they sent me this really nice note thanking me for allowing them the chance to participate in this. They sent me a check for $100. And they said, as we are able, we would love to continue to support you in your ministry. And that just, that just blew me away because, again, as a kid, I thought, they don't have anything. And they're giving, they're giving this to me. Now, as a college kid... And when you think about people who are sometimes in need of charity, you know, that's the stage of life that I was in. You know, we, I didn't have anything. I, I lived in a house with six guys, 1,200 square feet. Our rent each was $100. That's how much my rent was. You know, we shared electric, uh, all the bills and stuff. And uh, you can, you know, we had a bathroom that was this big and shared that. So it was totally disgusting. And, you know, that's a, that's a time in your life where it does, you know, okay, that's the expiration date, but I need to eat. So I'm going to have some more of that. You know, that's kind of where you are. So... You know, I had need in my life. I needed to eat, you know. I needed a roof over my head. I needed to be able to, to get good rest so I could study. All those, there was all sorts of needs that I had in my life. And that, and those, those gifts, they supported that need. And that was helpful. That was, that was really helpful at that time in my life. But those, those gifts, they did more for me than simply meet a need in my life. Those gifts changed my life. They changed my life because I wasn't just a project uh, for their charity. Uh, what I understood over the course of, of two years, uh, as each month uh, another $100 check came in from Jim and Cora, I understood that I was, my life and my future was the focus of their generosity. And because my life and my future was a focus of, of their generosity and, and my life was changed in that process, here's what I know today. Every, every good thing that has happened in my life since then is in some ways been fueled by the grace shared with me by Jim and Cora. 
Every single moment. Every, every sermon I've ever preached, every prayer I've ever prayed, every opportunity I've had to, to stand with a couple who are giving their lives to one another in Christian marriage, every moment I've stood by a graveside, every time I've gone to the hospital to see a family in need, every single moment of my life since then is in some ways connected to the grace of Jim and Cora who sacrificed and were generous with me sharing an act of generosity that transformed my life and every moment of my life that is to come will always be connected back to Jim and Cora. That's the power. That's the power that is unleashed when we share grace. The grace that God has so freely given to us and the grace that God invites to get us to give to one another. It's the power of God. The power of God that is saving the world. And when we get this right, when we are faithful in the first things, we are releasing into the world the power, the power that has the capacity to save the world. And we do it not just because it's a good cause. We do it because we serve a great and generous God. And that's where the joy, that's, uh, that's where, uh, that's where the, the, the cheerfulness comes in, in that act is because we recognize that all of life is a gift. If I've been filled with the love and grace of God, it means that resources are not resources anymore. Money's not money. Talent's not talent. Time's not time. It's all grace. It's all grace. And because God has so freely given, I want to give to others. And so uh, as we bring this series to a close, I, I hope that your heart fills that sense of joy and gratitude to be able to reflect back into the world what God has poured into you. Not just because we believe in charity, but because our hearts have been transformed by God's generosity. Uh, so I'm going to close in prayer. And again, you're, you're invited to come and to simply fill these baskets uh, with your cards. By the way, if you've already filled out a card and turned it in, just bring forward a blank card uh, as a way of saying, I'm, I want to be a part of what God is going to do in the life of this church uh, in 2018. Uh, here's my card, and it's blank because we turned ours in last night. So, you know, 10% works, but I have to preach four times. It'd be 40% if I just kept turning in the same card. So... But you're welcome to bring that forward again as a way of saying, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the life of this church. I want to be a part of unleashing your grace that has the power to save the world. Let's pray together. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks that you are a loving and gracious God that you respond to our need and that you, Lord, in your love and grace, love nothing more than to meet our needs. Lord, we pray that we would be filled with your grace, filled to the fullness, the full measure, and that as we are, Lord, we will 
we will cheerfully give back to you and give back to your world. Lord, we pray your blessing on these cards, on each person that brings them forward. We pray your blessing on what they will enable your church to do in the year ahead. We pray, Lord, for those who will hear about you for the first time. We pray, Lord, for those families whose lives will move on a new track. We pray, Lord, for those kids who will uh, come to a deeper understanding of what their life is all about. We pray for all the things that will happen through the life of this church, Lord. May your power be released as we share grace with one another. This prayer we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.